Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome to the NXT review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dadly Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Citrick, to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review NXT but also Raw, SmackDown, AW Dynamite, pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course. On WrestleCulture, as I said, though, joined by Michael Hamblett and Michael Sidgwick to review, uh, well, have a let it, let's say, a divisive episode of NXT. I sense it probably won't be too divisive between the Dadley boys. I uh, thought this was a really poor episode, really poor. Um, I've been full of praise for the last sort of three or four weeks of NXT. I'm a fan of the two, three week cycle booking, but I did mention on the preview yesterday that. One of the problems NXT has currently is just because it can arrive at some of the best combinations it's got, it doesn't mean that those best combinations end well. Um, I don't think a lot of this roster is where it needs to be in terms of the booking. I don't think a lot of the characters are all that interesting. Uh, And that shows itself off worst in the matches. Uh, We had a few examples of that on the show, most evident in the main event, but I thought there was another couple of fairly prominent stumbles here. And I'll be watching next week hoping for that to be rectified rather than feeling like they're building off what was one of the biggest episodes in a while. The problem with NXT is that it's fronted by Karrion Cross, and Karrion Cross is not good. I don't think he's very good. And like, oh, I don't want to go two-footed on the guy. It strikes me as a bit of a knob in his personal life. So I don't really take a great deal of... Uh, um, doesn't require a great deal of sort of effort for me to do this. I'm not exactly um, reluctant to go two-footed on him, shall I say. Um, but I'm going to go in two-footed. His drab, his parody, his work is transparently not good. And the fact that he's the face of this brand means the brand itself looks bad because he is at the front of it. There were two shockingly NXT booking decisions on this show, which we'll drill into and ultimately, it was a big show based around a big title match. And I thought the big title match was boring. So I can only really give this a fail, an F. I would probably give it a B because there's a B on my window. Somewhere. Oh, God. Will Vaughn just die? But in all seriousness, I've got mixed emotions about this show because I really... I really enjoyed that opener. I thought it was a really enjoyable match. And I know, yes, it's going to lead to yet again, the way versus Moon and Blackheart. But I don't know. Parts of that match really got me excited. I was sad, but intrigued about what happens next with all the million dollar stuff. And yeah, you said you're right. I mean, there's only so many times you can go, whoa, that would normally put a guy down. And then he, he pops back up or he kicks out at one or whatever. I think... You know, it's it's certainly not an NXT Championship match that will live long in the memory. It's probably the nicest thing I can say about that. But let's let's start at the beginning of the show. Let's start with Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai versus Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart, as you would expect. Uh, we start off with Raquel Gonzalez just dominating. Big power moves on Ember Moon, who starts fighting back, counters and frustrates uh, uh, Raquel Gonzalez. Later on, as we come back from the break, uh, the babyfaces fight back. They're in control. Uh, Blackheart applies a Texas clo- cloverleaf on Dakota Kai. That means Gonzalez 
has to come in and save her partner. This was going to be the story throughout the match. Um, Blackheart got a near fall on uh, Kai off the back of a uh, face buster. And Gonzalez, again, had to come in and save her from a, I think it was a doomsday device they were going for. Uh, she also came in later on and freed her from a sort of leg, leg lock cross face thing. Uh, and then I just love the moment where Gonzalez picks up Moon to hit her with that classic choke slam of hers and Moon counters into a sodding eclipse. Brilliant reversal that. Uh, and then Moon and Blackheart hit, I mean, their version of a heart attack effectively on Dakota Kai for the one, two, three. Post-match, Rako Gonzalez attacks both of them uh, and gets Kai to hold Moon up and make her watch as she power bombs Blackheart into, well, everything ringside, the barricade, the post, and anything and everything. Uh, and then she dropped her throat first on the barricade to finish it all off. But, Sid, what do you reckon to this opener? It was a better night for Gonzalez after what was effectively a disaster against um, Mercedes Martinez. So that was rewarding, considering that I have placed a decent amount of investment in um, Gonzalez, as have NXT for that matter. So I thought that was quite an important course correction, even though they did not win. And in not winning, we have arrived at, oh my God, is this tag team division worse than Raw's? At least on Raw, we get a crazy explosion. Let's get some bollocks. At least we get some memes about how much the matches have happened. At least you get to like laugh at it and get numbers from burying it. They've just arrived at this match again, having done the gimmick blow off like what, three weeks ago? So that's irritating. Um, I really loved the um, eclipse reversal spot. Mm. Right? I like that spot. And I'm going to emphasize again the word spot because this was just a match full of spots. It was a match built around moves with a Z just in the same gear. I just find so much of it to be a blur of some tosser, not your mate. He's actually quite good. The other one screaming his head off on commentary as moves with a Z are exchanged at the same pace without any kind of real drama or build or excitement. I was getting told to enjoy this great in-ring action, capital I, capital R, and I was just left. I've been desensitized to this 11, 12 minute NXT TV match for the longest time. And beyond that real moment of creativity in, a, in an understated job of rehabbing Gonzalez, I just didn't think it had any personality to it whatsoever. And it's just a, brought us to such a humdrum next step. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I mostly agree, actually. This was like energetically worked. Um, it was probably the best match that these teams have had, even though it did feel spot, 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 spot. Um the only attempt to find any story was really between Kai and Gonzalez, which they're going to do in every match and as they should, and as they should be loyal to. And, I, and I'm going to find praise for that every week because it's important really that that goes in this match. I was like really disappointed with the result. Um, the post-match attack is just really see-through. You know, you kind of, you've seen this too often, especially in WWE to not understand what it is they're doing, which is just this like, this, this protection racket. Um, I'd like to think the beatdown was strong enough that Moon and Blackheart are unable to have their title match. And this is going to be something different. Um, I'm not suggesting that Gonzalez and Kai slot right in, but it might be nice if they're a little bit creative on the other side of this. And it's not mm-hmm. just, oh yeah, like Moon and Moon and Blackheart get their shot and they're going to want to get revenge on Gonzalez and Kai one of these days. Like I, I'd, it'd be great if this was sold as like vicious as it looked and maybe like Gonzalez and Kai are fined or suspended for their actions, like consequences for this sort of stuff. So it doesn't look so nakedly transparent that you just wanted to like have them lose and then get the heat back. I'd like the ramifications of this to matter in the weeks to come rather than it just being one of them like raw 50, 50 deals. Mm. Cause otherwise it's just going to feel really hollow. It, nobody wants, well, I'm assuming nobody really wants Blackheart and Moon versus the way again. Um, so maybe this is what that was for. Like this, that might scan as like generous this week, but like I'm willing to give them a week to sort of like, to have William Regal or whoever acknowledge this as not on, you know, like the wrestlers fundamentally shouldn't do this and it not look just like some tr- transparent pro wrestling booking. I mean, I think they're going in the direction of Moon and Gonzalez for the title next, aren't they, basically? Which again, like is fine, but I feel like you probably could have got there with Gonzalez and Kai winning this match. Like, Kai and... I, I know 
Kai loses and it's Gonzalez that always like is going to be looking at oh it's always Dakota Kai coming up short. But I'm not so sure this was the result to book to get to that either. Uh, we got a backstage promo from Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher. Great face from Timothy Thatcher in all this <laughs> when he realised just how pissed off Tommaso Ciampa is with the Grizzled Young Veterans now. They're going to break their limbs. I'm really excited for the for the follow-up match. Series. And the, the complete no-selling of the Grizzled Young Veterans going, no, we're not bothered about them anymore. It's like, well, you lost to them. <laughs> yeah, but they used a shoe, so it doesn't really count, does it? Like, we're just going to move on to talk about the tag titles instead. Great stuff. We'll come to that later on. Uh, and then we got Bobby Fish versus Pete Dunne. Uh, nice little recap. Not nice, not for Bobby Fish anyway, uh, but enjoyable that they recapped Bobby Fish's uh, injury off the back of Pete Dunne at War Games. Uh, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty brutal, hard-hitting fight this. Uh, we had them the grappling off to start things off and then Pete Dunne, I think, just stomped Bobby Fish in the face at one point. Pete Dunne, uh, the story of this match, targeting the, uh, the previously injured arm, tricep, whatever it's called, of, of Bobby Fish, uh, continues as we come back from the break. Fish fires up, gets done in a sleeper, but Dunne gets out using his brilliant joint manipulation. Uh, and Dunne continues to just target that arm, dropping a knee on it. Uh, he snaps Fish's fingers whilst he's trying to get him in an arm bar, um, but Fish counters. But then Dunn counters, hits the bitter end and gets the three count. Post-match, only Lorcan, who's been at ringside, uh, attacks Bobby Fish. And uh, he also targets the arm at one point, sort of bending it over the apron, uh, really applying lots of pressure to that surgically repaired in uh, arm. Officials come out, separate them. But of course, Lorcan comes back in to get one more kick to the arm uh, as they are forced to the back. Hamlet, your thoughts on the match and the fallout? I thought this was really, really good. Uh, if anything, the only criticisms I have is you couldn't book this when you had your planned main event because the main event couldn't outwork this. I'm a sucker for this Pete Dunheel formula. Bobby Fish wrestled like he was five years and five injuries younger. Mm. Like there was um, a couple of like, uh, like suplexes he fired off in particular where I've not seen the snap in his work like that for years. And I admire a guy like Bobby Fish being back in a singles run with people being very aware of the time he's missed, like trying to like show himself off again. Like I, that was what this felt like, like a hell of a display, especially knowing he was going to lose. Like the stuff he worked into this um, in his comebacks against Pete Dunne, just like really, really hit for me in a way that I totally didn't expect. So like a pleasant surprise of a match, like a really good showcase, even in defeat. There's nothing wrong with, we've said this before, there's like nothing wrong in losing when you lose well and you lose relatively clean. Like, awesome counter into the bitter end from Pete Dunne as well. Pete Dunne should look like, should still look like a dangerous technical wrestler, even when he's like being a bit of a cheating bastard or a bit of a savage with the finger stuff. Like This is kind of like Pete Dunne living his best life as a character as well. And I quite like the post-match too. Um, it wasn't with much excitement that I think we were on the same page about uh, Kyler Riley makes the save. It's like, oh, they're still friends, so they'll have a tag team match. Is this now going the other way? Kylie Riley didn't make the save. So isn't that like justifiable cause for Bobby Fish to be yet somebody else that has an issue with Kyle O'Reilly and yet more dissension between the former Undisputed Era friends? Like I, Bobby Fish came out and made the save the other week and said, I'm not doing this because we're mates now. I'm just doing this because it was the right thing to do. Kyle O'Reilly didn't return the favour. That's justifiable reason for Bobby Fish to be kind of pissed off with him down the road. So I, I quite like that as a storyline driver as well. Like all of this was a real pleasant surprise for me. You don't have to echo much of that. It's weird. It's weird and it isn't weird that cool Kyle O'Reilly, on this evidence, he could put another word beginning with C in front of his name. Like, what? <laughs> Didn't help his made. That was a deliberate move to um, mirror what had happened the previous week or two weeks ago. Um, but so the idea is, I think, that Bobby Fish is going to go, hang on, dick. <laughs> I almost said there's going to be that miscommunication. And it's like, well, you know, I didn't think we we're like allies anymore, so I didn't bother. So that, there's a neat way of building Fish versus O'Reilly, which on this form I'm really looking forward to. I don't think I'd look forward to anything Bobby yeah. Fish was going to do again. Like he looked reinvigorated, like lots of just nice. That's how I would the exact inflection. Nice work in this match. Um, so I'd be bang up for that match. Just a weird way to get there. That doesn't really babyface cool Kyle O'Reilly who seemingly is the big baby face. Maybe Fish can um, take him out of that triple threat next week. Who knows? But there's something there, um, and it's not bad at all. If I'm Pete Dunne, I'm a little bit pissed with only Lorcan. 
that arm thing on the apron in the <laughs> post-match beatdown looked as good as anything I've seen Pete Dunne do in terms of, Jesus Christ, that hurts my arm watching it. And mm-hmm. um, So if I'm him, I'm like, can I steal that? I'm the arm, I, I'm the arm guy. <laughs> I do arm stuff. Hamfield, no, I'm very protective over like titles that I have. So I felt like a little bit of... Uh, <laughs> That's why I'm arms. I'm arms. So no, that looked great, being less facetious about it. The match was nice. Um, all of this worked well in terms of advancing O'Reilly and Fish as a direction, potentially. And it was about time that Pete Dunne cashed a check. And it's good that he cashed a check against Bobby Fish because he's like a big star of this brand. He has the inbuilt legitimacy of being in the Undisputed Era. I don't literally listen to the commentary, right? I don't do this at all. Did they sell the fact that he was coming back from injury as a way to not excuse him in defeat, but like explain it? They put over the fact that Dunne had done him in at War Games. So he was still kind of like, it was a, a bit of a like semi-recovery. Yeah, he, you know, he was back, 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 yeah. I love that. It's a big, massive part of Japanese pro wrestling. When mm. people come back from injury, they don't just simply win because they're not 100% yet. They've got ring rust. I'd like to see more of that on American TV. So if I've got a glimpse of it here, maybe I'll listen to the commentary. Then again, maybe not. Um, but that's good. That was well done. It makes sense. Uh, next up, we got Mercedes Martinez walking backstage, cutting a promo about losing the, the title match, but eventually working her way up back up to another title shot. And Bo was sort of spying on her in the background. More of that sort of thing later on. Uh, and then a promo from Hit Row. They were in their studio talking about how it was time for them to go gold. They uh, talked about all the champions and say they wanted to go after their titles. Uh, Sige, do you like this or do you still think it's wiggity 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 whack? I'm still cringing, but I'm not cringing half as much as I do in the live scenario when they're trying to do organic crosstalk and it's just like, finished? Right, my turn. <laughs> I cringed slightly less for what it's worth. I don't necessarily think that's because they are like feeling the characters a bit more because they're just one-dimensional archetypes with naming conventions straight out of the early 90s. Um I don't know if it was just the setting or them getting a little bit less, I don't know. I cringe less than I did the last two times I've seen them. Just. People really like this act. Why? Like, I really like it. I was conscious, especially last week, uh, after the fact that like, oh Christ, the way the outliers on this one, because, you know, like we've said this back the in the correct term is trailblazers. <laughs> like, it's, it's the case with NXT quite a lot where, because nothing really registers that much in like the wrestling discourse online. When something like actually gets its head above water, you're quite shocked by it. And Hit Row appeared to be that thing. And I was like, what am I missing? Um, they still didn't really land for me. Um, Going to put like an L on your head like in Mario's brother is a line that I would imagine some writer felt like really pleased with that didn't particularly land in execution as making this act sound cool. So I'm still not entirely sure how I'm supposed to receive them, but it, like they are being received really well. So I guess like more power for more power to NXT for getting one right with the masses. I just don't see it myself yet. The masses. Well, well, <laughs> whatever accounts for masses in uh, NXT on Tuesdays. I'm desperate for crowds to come back desperate because I can never what's popular what's over like mm. I just don't know I just don't know because if you go on certain review sites and I like to get a measure of what's popping and what isn't like the review sites love this program mm. this episode this program eight nines eight point fives I'm thinking what are you just you just got crap taste because that's what it seems like to me <laughs> it, it feels like when I read discourse about NXT and Jesus Christ it's like it's a fine tooth comb to find it it feels like it, happy fans talking about it you know what I mean like people are yeah. into that but even in those communities there are people who go yeah, I'm not sure about carrying cross which says it all says <laughs> it all I think it's a huge thing. Like I was a little bit critical of Karen Cross on Twitter this morning. Um, and naturally it draws like a, a little bit critical. 
a little bit critical. It draws sort of conversation about NXT as a brand at large. And it was at that point I was like, you know, when I stop and think about it, I've really enjoyed NXT lately. And I think this mid card is potentially very full of life. I think there's lots to like about it. Um, but it will ultimately for a quite a long time to come, NXT will still live and die by its main events and it's dying at the moment. Mm. Um, but I, I think maybe that like kind of to echo what you said at the top of the podcast, it's it's so prominent. Like the build to Finn Balor and Karrion Cross on this show and last week was so strong. And like they were hitting you over the head with this build. The hype was so high that you'd think they thought they had the best match of the year in the locker. You think they thought we cannot wait to promote this and we're going to build and build and build all night. That like they certainly had the courage of the convictions, but they should be convicted convicted for presenting main events like this every goddamn week. Like because it's just like this show will die by these dra- like these continually drab main events. When yeah, the mid card is like there's a sense of fun in it. There's a, there's several acts that are being kept busy that are involved in feuds that you've at least got a, at very least a passing interest in. Um, but they've got to fix at the top of the cards. Mercedes Martinez versus Zayda Ramirez was next. A uh, bit of offense in, but basically a squash again uh, on this show uh, for Martinez. Uh, press slammed her off the top rope, hit her with a knee strike, air raid crash, one, two, three. But the big thing uh, is what came next, Hamlet, the, uh, the lights go out, the lights turn red, the rings fill in with smoke, the lights change again. And when the lights come back up, Mercedes Martinez has got a black mark on her hand. She has been targeted by, well, Dion Shaw, I assume. Yeah, um, it's magic, etc. And like, I don't love, I don't love that presentation of it. Like the idea that like her hand's been marked by a ghost. It's not real. Um, so I find that element of it a little bit hard to take. But just being like coldly analytical. They have decided that this is the role for Mercedes Martinez. So in much the same way, the booking was great, but the match failed with Raquel Gonzalez. Mercedes Martinez, is they have probably stumbled upon yet again the, the perfect opponent for Chan Shaw. Like, we kind of talked about how they were pushing that act in a way where, well, if they don't win the title with thousand-year-old dragon ghost magic, what the <laughs> hell's the point of them? So it becomes, well, how the hell do you delay that? How do you find a gap before you either commit to this act or you have them lose to the champion? Mercedes Martinez as cast in this role is that is that first distraction opponent basically so like I'm not like mad mad into the magic and Boa in the background is kind of Lily in the background like, let's not, let's not ignore that comparison they, they like doing that um Mercedes Martinez is the answer to that difficult question of how can we keep them away from Raquel Gonzalez for a while she is the answer to that question. I'm just not sure if they need to be asking that question. Yeah. Is this the thing for you, Sige, that's going to send Mercedes round the bends? <laughs> God. Jesus Christ. No, it's a thing that she's hired for, essentially, is using her excellent skills. She really is a good hand. And that's, got, that's a negative connotation in pro wrestling. But God damn it, it's true. And it probably shouldn't be. It's hard to make people look good. Um, Ramey is incredibly green. But this was quite accomplished for how short it was. I legitimately am loath to construct this take. But just to circle back to the point about, well, how much buzz does this show have? Who's actually liking it? How credible are those words in terms of whether they like it? Is it just we find groups of really devoted, happy fans and they're, what are they a barometer of because they will like anything? I really am loath to construct this take. It's my least favourite construction of a take because so often the if is irrelevant because I don't think AEW would do this. So it's an irrelevant point and I'm going to say it. If this happened on AEW Dynamite, like it would get slaughtered. Absolutely slaughtered. So I guess within that, you can see where the show actually lies in terms of its interests. I've seen the amount of comments you get on a Red Squared Circle spread. I've thread i've seen the trend and tab like this show is legitimately irrelevant and i think this illustrates it and yet it's dragon stuff i can't pretend i'm not into that (laughs) this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses, they can be Big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Well, let's move on to something that I'm very much into, and that is the million-dollar face-off between Cameron Grimes and Ted DiBiase. Cameron Grimes comes out, grabs the mic, goes to talk, and, of course, then million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase's music hits. He comes out, and Grimes asks, why? Basically, why is he messing with him? Uh, Grimes says, I didn't used to be rich, but now that I am, I'm trying to have fun. You keep showing me up whilst I do this. You're my hero. You taught me that I could treat people horribly and still be liked because I've got money. He said, never meet your idols. And Teddy Biasi responded by saying, look, I really like you, kid. Uh, you've got, we've got a lot more in common than you think. Uh, he put him through hell because he saw a little bit of himself in Cameron Grimes. He was here because he was looking for that one individual that embodies the million-dollar man. But it's not just about the money. It's about in-ring performance. And Grimes, you have got it, son. But you've got rich... You've lost your focus. You need to find it. It looks like he's about to, to, you know, take him under his wing, maybe even, you know, hint towards the million dollar championship and all that. But who should interrupt but one L.A. Knight who uh, swaggers out onto the stage. He says he sees a million dollar opportunity. He's bigging himself up as he walks down to the ring. He's done it all himself. Uh, he basically pitches himself to Ted DiBiase. He said he'd bring his legacy to new levels if they join forces. And DiBiase says, I know you are. I know you got what it takes to be a megastar. But this annoys Cameron Grimes. He's furious about how, yeah, 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 LA Knight's got a great body and he can ch- chat a bit, but he's not a millionaire. He tells Knight, get out of my rink or I'll kick your ass to the moon. But the moment he turns his back on L.A. Knight, Knight jumps him, beats him down, knocks him out, jumps, walks out of the ring. And Ted DiBiase stands over a fallen Cameron Grimes and tells him, kid, you're never going to get it, are you? Cackles and he leaves, having screwed Grimes and seemingly joined forces with L.A. Knight. Heartbreaking this for me, Sige. Um, Me too. That positive, Cameron Grimes has turned face. Yes, it's overdue. It's something that ahead of the imminent return of fans will actually, if handled correctly, get all the way over. The early omens are that uh, this didn't go right. He looked like an idiot. Right at the moment, you meant to magically turn into a cleverer person, such as the weird machinations of pro wrestling and how this works. Um, I liked my idea yesterday better, do my fair lady. But... It just didn't do a great deal for me. And I don't exactly know why. It's weird. In pro wrestling, the Young Bucks have completely subverted this idea. But for someone like LA Knight, you kind of 
damned if you do and damned if you don't. You can't say, I'm a millionaire because you're not. But you can't also say, I'm not quite a millionaire yet. Just don't talk about money in pro wrestling at all. <laughs> Very little of it. And they handled it magnificently to the point where people were, Cameron Grimes is so talented that this rich arsehole and rich people are horrible fundamentally got over by being a rich arsehole and endearing because he's that talented. Um, I just don't know what to think of this at all. I just feel like this is the first premonition of Cameron Grimes becoming effectively the babyface version of what he was as a heel. Punchline, plucky, bit of a dope. No one you can take particularly seriously. Like the same funny don't draw money, and yet lots of pro wrestlers who were major stars were hilarious. Flair, Rock. Funny can be incidental to how good a performer is. And I feel like we are so far away from that as it pertains to Cameron Grimes. Yeah, I just, this is just a bit all over the shop for me. This, I, like, I don't think they, it was a bit of a, it was a baby first turn for Cameron Grimes, but it was a bit of a half cocked one. Like, I'm never massively into people that turn face because they've been like turned on by other heels. So, like, you've already given yourself a bit of an uphill start. You can race up that hill, by the way. And I think, um, as I think Cedric pointed out there, the, the idea that like fans are coming back very, very soon is what's going to help Grimes accelerate up that hill, is that now fans have got their permission slip to cheer for him straight away. It's not going to be that ironic, we just love this character, and like while he's doing heel things. But like I still found a lot of it like pretty slapdash. Like They do this all the time because they just don't pay attention to their own show as much as we do. But Ted DiBiase saying he's lost focus. What happened when Cameron Grimes went and met him at the club? He'd won a match. Mm. Like, and he, he lost... only lost a match because Ted DiBiase's music played. Yeah, he was losing to zombies when he was poor. Like Things are moving in an upward trajectory for Cameron Grimes. So that's bollocks. Like that's that's just it's so it's premised on something that's a little bit nonsense. I did like um, and I remember we kind of picked this up when it was happening at the time. What I felt like was a, a natural comparison being made between Grimes and LA Knight and LA Knight's first couple of vignettes. Remember, he was cutting promos from like the, the front door of a nice house as if they'd like rented somewhere, or they were filming it on like a rich neighbor's house and then running away when the neighbor came yeah. out. What's all, what's all that noise on my drive? And like cheese it like you know like LA Knight diving into a car and speeding off so I thought like it was quite cute they made those comparisons and then just left them there because they are quite similar characters and what you have in LA Knight is somebody that defines Grimes as a baby face because he's far more likable of the two again you know yeah millionaires rich people are also so find the nicer of the two and then like try and lean into that um but yeah I just found the whole presentation this a little bit wonky and Debiossi's going to help LA Knight, probably. Like, he's already, like, that character feels like it's got a splash more colour than it had. So that's probably, like, another net positive. Um, but, yeah, maybe this would have all gone down better with Grimes, with uh, fans in attendance for Grimes, because I'm not so sure this landed in the way they wanted it to. Yeah, it was a little bit cheeky as well. They were doing that thing. NXT doesn't do it as much, so they can get away with it. But if this was the main roster, we'd just be like, Oh, like another really bland and unimaginative use of a legend. But legends just appear less in NXT. So I think they're kind of getting away with the novelty of it a bit more. I was devastated. How could you, Ted? I was going to be called Ted, you know. Anyway, uh, what are we talking about? Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> Indy Artwell is uh, rushing about backstage. She's looking for Dexter Loomis. She interrupts Everise. She slags off their show. And there, once again spectacularly furious you want to take a swing huh burn lads it's so good that if you just did the soundboard and they're effectively becoming caricatures at this point who cares the soundboard's still funny oh god you want should to i get in <laughs> you great what was it what was it uh she said was it she called him a stupid show or a dumb show one of them was like stupid show or something like that <laughs> Just, uh, just, just them repeating stuff back and the other one going, well, you want to take a swing? It's, I, <laughs> it's funny every time. Anyway, she's running about. Drake Maverick shows up, best friend of Dexter Loomis, apparently, and says, oh, yeah, he's being creepy over there, basically. And she walks into this room. It's all dark. She turns on the light. And it's, it's terrifying, <laughs> perfectly honest. The walls are coated with drawings of 
of heartbreak and him crying and a knife in his chest because of what she said about him. And she's devastated about hurting him and she runs out. I'm still kind of into this. Is that bad, Sige? I mean, it's the wrong climate. That is for damn sure. I don't like this. I was like 16 or 17, I guess. It's the wrong climate to do. Look, this is completely elevated by the fact that somehow I buy into their chemistry. Indy Hartwell is a treasure. I, I, she's one of the few NXT wrestlers I follow on Twitter. Right? She's good at this. She's really good at sports entertainment. She's kind of born to wrestle in this company, I think, is Indy Hartwell. She's fantastic at this. I believe in the totally unbelievable. And that alone is the source of my enjoyment because it's like the darker timeline of friends when Ross Geller gets rejected by Rachel and actually becomes the serial killer. Um, <laughs> it's just optics wise, not good performance wise, chemistry wise, somehow very good. Yeah. When this company's hardcores are already nicknamed Vincels, is it really a good idea to encourage their younger teenage male demographic to think that that's how they're going to get the girl is by like, Fright guilt in her into kill myself if you don't, <laughs> yeah, by drawing a thousand pictures of themselves, like in like utter torment. Like, now you've got to give me another chance. Uh, it's I, um, you know, look, we've all left a knowing lyric as our MSN messenger screen oh, name at one point yeah. in our lives, but that belongs in the dark past, we're in, in an enlightened future, and I'm not sure that. NXT should maybe be perpetuating that very, very dated method and stereotype. The black mountain in front of my carrying cross. Left <laughs> in the past. Hartwell continues to sell it like impeccably. Yeah. She's the wrestling does this a lot. Wrestling does things where it rests in the hands of the performers to carry certain angles. And that's what she and Dexter Lumis, to be fair, because it's a, it's a two-way chemistry between them, like physically at least. Uh, they, they are carrying material that I think it feels 20 years long gone. Like, if this gets its own takeover video package, it's going to be soundtracked by a misogynistic new metal band, isn't it? Why do you want to treat me like this? You know, like, <laughs> that'll just be... like yeah, Poppy won't be, be doing, worst, Pop, like, Poppy won't be doing that one. Emo with the wonderful Midwestern elements just completely screamed out of it. That is absolutely <laughs> guilt trip stuff. Uh, lipstick on collars now. Take it back, Sunday were good actually. I'm trying to think of a uh, Hawthorne Heights mm. rubbish, oh, absolutely yeah, rubbish. I'll kill myself if you don't love me, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, Indy Hartwell is the, is the best thing about this without question. But I think I think we're in a very privileged, privileged position. We'll have some you know long, young listeners possibly listen to this podcast. And there's three married men. I, I think I speak for all of us that that is not the way to get a girl. What you need to do: message her on social media. If she hasn't replied within five minutes, call her a bitch. Uh, right? Okay. No, I'm joking. Don't do that. Of course, I'm joking. Right. Let's move on and talk about Frankie Monet. She made her debut last night. She faced Cora Jade. Uh, a lot of uh, where loca catchphrases being worked in. You talked about this yesterday, uh, both of you. Uh, Hamflet, how did this uh, live up to your expectations? Uh, just about. Um, super effective, super confident. Not enough uh, flash and bollocks, quite honestly. Like it was the WWE are never shy um, about being unsubtle in how they present characters like this. And if anything, I feel like they held back a little bit. Uh, maybe that's by design. I remember this story from years ago, Triple H in his like career killing era, getting the faintest praise from Carlito's bodyguard, Jesus. When he came in uh, WWE and he had this like full outfit, like fur coat, like about 10 different colored matching hats and all this sort of stuff. And Triple H was like, now I'm just go out there in your tights and your braces because you're going to stick around here a long time. And uh, if you go out with all that straight away, like you've got nothing else to give him after the fact. Jesus, of course, didn't know that he was going to get one match against John Cena and then get fired. But uh, <laughs> I mean, he did, to be fair, didn't he stab John Cena in a nightclub? So that was he had it. He, he had it coming. He had it coming. But the advice in principle was smart. Like, don't give it all away straight away. You might have bigger TV matches or bigger pay per views, and you want to have stuff to show off and show out. And I think that was the goal with Frankie Monet because it was good. It was like it was really like a strong and confident squash that plays to the character we've seen from her so far. Um, like the offense that. Cora Jade got in, like meant now, really, because this was the showcase we all expected. 
I, I like. I thought if anything, the presentation was like slightly understated. Um, but I feel like there's probably more to come. Good enough. I thought it was genius to give her the glam slam as a finisher. By the way, <laughs> with mm. Beth Phoenix just sat there on commentary and 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 that robe and them talking how bloody much. It, I really like this. What do you think, Sage? Just I have to echo just enough. You got the idea of yeah, she's all flash and she's inadvertently but accidentally on purpose being a complete dick. That's all good. And then you get, oh Christ, the crazy side who will mop the floor with you. I still got the impression that, that this is a squash match. It's the easiest match to do. I was still left with the impression that when the bell actually rings, oh, I don't know. But a, a reasonable start. Uh, got the promo to respond to Champer and Thatcher next from the grizzled young veterans. They said, basically, as I alluded to earlier, that they're done with Champer and Thatcher. They're going for the tag titles. Uh, they want to face MSK. They're obviously going to keep an eye on that tag title match next week. Brilliant line from Zach Gibson. I can't remember who said this. It was a, it's a football reference without question, but he said, if they were wrestling at the end of my garden, I'd close my curtains, which was I thought was good. <laughs> yeah, I thought this is good. I thought Champer and Thatcher earlier in the night was much better. They did the exact same thing where if you told five months ago me, oh, this is what Champer and Thatcher are going to do on NXT this week, I think, oh, Christ, more pathetic, masculine bluster. And yet, I'm into it now, kind of big time. Thatcher's got a bit of mischief on his face, like just colour, tone, just flashes of, he kind of knows that he's a bit of a caricature and just decides to add a little bit of B-movie flavour to it. Great. I want to see this match. And I kind of want to see it in the fight pit as well. Yeah. And built a goddamn feud. I'm really quite interested in seeing the payoff for outside of a title picture and a takeover, presumably. Excellent. Yeah. Great promos. Um, this tag team division is in rude health for the first time in forever. You've got Wait, a really have a rematch with Breezangles. <laughs> well, I was gonna say you've got like a really good um like effectively down to one contenders match in this like strong undercard program that has also helped build a quality, like a potential high quality tag team title match for television next week. And it's like a rare praise for me for Imperium because the bollocking would like about to mention next felt like it was designed to completely reimagine how they wrestle their matches like there is no there is no justification for the likely like victory over Breezango next week being boring otherwise it betrays Walter's advice in the next segment so it almost felt like they were setting them up to be a like to be a different style and I just think again like showing more forethought about what you're going to do next so you've got these four teams all embroiled in a feud they know that Imperium aren't really there so this is kind of a Hail Mary to get them back to the point where they feel like they can belong again with the other the other four teams. And as we talked about the other week, Brizango most likely absorbing another loss and a heel turn that could potentially light a bit more of a fire under them. Um yeah, I just I'm like really impressed with how they've been like doing the work lately with these teams. Did they deliberately sorry, Will Bond, before we move on, uh, did they deliberately pass mention of the fact that and I, I can't believe this actually happened, Imperium lost the tag titles to Breezango last year. Did that yeah, happen? Yeah. Did, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, I think they deliberately made mention of that to remind you how rubbish it was. So yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that. Did that happen? I knew Imperium won the belts, but I can't remember the lineage or anything. Mm. Breezango, I could be... Did Breezango not win them on a takeover kickoff? Yeah, it was that triple oh, threat we were, we were booking, yeah. Yes. So who did they like... do? Brizango lost him to. Uh, oh, now you've got me. I don't know. Uh, Larkin and Birch, who had to some like surrender them because of the injury to Danny Birch. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's much better. It was, a, it was a big twist where Pat McAfee revealed the kings of NXT. They got the title shot and ended up winning the belts. God, I miss Pat McAfee on NXT. Uh, yeah, so then we got Walter Bollock in 
uh, Marcel Bartel, Fabian Aguilar, as we mentioned. And then we got Bronson Reed coming out, new NXT North American champion. Uh, he talks about for the 14 years it's taken to get to this moment, uh, not just to climb up the mountain, but falling down just to get back up and falling yet again. Just keep on getting up. Uh, it's not an easy road to the North American title, uh, but he said good luck to anyone now that he's got it, trying to take it off him. They have a colossal mountain to climb. Out comes Legado del Fantasma, of course, uh, fronted by Santos Escobar. Uh, he said he can't relate to Bronson Reed because he was born a champion. And he said uh, the North American title has caught his eye. Uh, he talks about America and Mexico. And one of them goes, what about Canada? You know, bollocks to Canada. Uh, anyway, keeps, uh, keeps saying basically he's going to come and take that title off Bronson Reed. They, uh, they surround three quarters of the ring. Come in, try to jump in, but MSK run down to make the save. Super kick on Mendoza and Wilds. Reed, I think, hits Escobar with a splash, and they uh, they go to the outside. What did you make of, uh, of all this, Sige? I resent the fact that titles mean nothing in this. Long-term booking means nothing in NXT. The failing upwards thing, which again happens later, was irritating because there's no consequence and all of this matters. Like all of it converges at some point to matter. And the reason I was irritated, not just willing to laugh at NXT, which I do enjoy doing at times is because I'm becoming a Santos Escobar guy. He's got welcome, got charisma. Now he's got that mischievous glint in his eye. He's got a bit of patter, but it never descends into, I don't want to use him as a comparison. Who's back on the show, LA Knight, because he's still, can cut through it with being a legitimately sinister, cool presence. Like, I'm a Santos Escobar guy, but this failing upwards trajectory of Santos Escobar is simply piss-poor booking that, again, because there's about a couple of hundred NXT fans online and they all just really like the show, it will never get buried. It deserves to get buried, this. Yeah. No, no I mean, it deserves to get buried. There's a new standard being set and it's not living up to it. It's a laziness they're not going to be held accountable for, isn't it? Which I think is frustrating because plenty of people will, like I like NXT, but plenty of people will praise this earnestly as what they believe to be the like the best wrestling show on television. And it's stuff like this that's going to hold that back all the time. No matter what you think of it, all the in-ring across any show, it's that kind of, like that cliched WWE thing that people will be blind to on NXT when they could easily be critical of it on Raw. It's like... It's another case of like the colour of the ropes, like fooling people into thinking that something is fine, um, which I would argue, like again, I'm going to give them a week's pass, but I feel like that same thing occurred in the the opening tag. You know, I think we'd be much harsher to that kind of 50-50 in if it was, say, Nia and Shayna, but only because NXT inspires like a slight bit more faith that there might be something mm. to it. Um, but agree completely on Escobar to the point where like, I'm kind of a, even more than that, I'm a Legada del Fantasma guy because I like that as a, as a, like a trio they inspire baby faces to have to kind of like come together briefly. Um, helps the most, obviously, while they're in a tag feud with MSK. But I quite like MSK as the like partners of a singles guy, whomever it may be, in this case, Bronson Reed, for a series of like quite interesting six mans that you can do with Legado mm-hmm. del Fantasma. I'll be sad a little bit when the Fantasma MSK feud is done with, which you kind of think has to happen next week because I've enjoyed watching them mixing with each other's business. There's, a, there's an energy to the to the chemistry between these two teams, and it's been it's helped other feuds. It helped this here. It helped the start of what we assume will be Bronson Reed's first major title defense and victory. Um, and I hope they're able to capture that with other teams because I do. I think it makes some quite nice six man dynamics as well. Well, not only have we got MSK defending those tag titles against Legado del Fantasma next week, it was also then announced by uh, GM William Regal, talking about failing upwards. Uh, it's going to be a triple threat next week. Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne and Johnny Gargano, uh, the winner of which will face the NXT champion at, I believe, TakeOver in your house. Just further indictment of uh, what you were just talking about, Sige. Yeah, what, what, what possible explanation, other than the one that Johnny Gargano's tried to pass off on Twitter, warrants the fact that it's all so backwards. He lost a title, which if any of this mattered, and we're not using headcanon, which we are, it's shameful that we are left to rely on this, even in good times, even with good booking. He's lost the lesser title, clean in the middle, despite the interference of his mate. 
the fact that he's a loser who tried to sully the sanctity of a match means he's a cheater and he's a bad cheater and he gets rewarded with a NXT title match. It's nonsensical. And again, like it's the sort of thing that in back in the old day, you'd think that just makes sense. But oh Christ, what dream match triple threat, eh? A new standard's been set and it's unacceptable now. Just like, I'm not saying Kyle O'Reilly in a denim jacket is lipstick on a pig, but this is the kind of match graphic that just makes me desperate for a frigging draft for a superstar shakeup. Um, just because Kyle O'Reilly is now like dressed for a festival and working singles, and Pete Dunne has like won a few to try and get himself back on track. I, I, this doesn't feel new. Like this, this combination of wrestlers feels ancient because all of the main combinations. The headliners on NXT feel ancient. Um, Gargano, the defenders of Gargano's placement in the match will not be defending it for the right reasons because, yes, Gargano has been in a storyline with Karrion Cross. Um, he's irritated Karrion Cross. Why not, like, why not have, after the match, have Karrion Cross say, well, now that's done, I've got some unfinished business and it's with you, Johnny Gargano, and if you've got the guts, you'll take my challenge up. And we know that Gargano. Hmm? I don't mind the challenge. Yeah, like let the champion actually issue the challenge. And then it doesn't matter that Gargano's just lost the match because it's carrying cross. Certainly wants a piece of Johnny Gargano. But it's all they know is to do triple threats. And they know that not enough people hold them to account for not thinking about this sort of thing. Um, and yeah, the combination is... And like, like Gargano's... Like, again, like you kind of... I want to be critical of this while also like trying to cut off people praising it at the past a little bit or like willing to have the debate because yes, Kyle O'Reilly and Pete Dunne are probably going to end up in a singles or maybe they'll do the O'Reilly and Fish versus Dunne and Larkin before Fish and like Fish turns on O'Reilly or whatever, you know, like, yes, fine. Like they have built to those things, but it doesn't make it, it's a false equivalency to say, well, that's why this match is happening. Then. It's, it doesn't like hold water to say, oh, well, that's why we're having a triple threat is because you've got to set that up. No, you're not supposed to see that. You're not supposed to see the wires of how you're supposed to get there. You're supposed to invest in these people like on journeys. You're not just supposed to like do WWE's work for them. And that's what they've got here in this triple threat. Gargano is the best chance Cross has got of having a main event. I'm not even critical of the outcome. I just like, I just mm. wish that I just wish to think a little bit more about how to get there. Right, Cross Balor NXT Championship on the line was the main event. A hard-hitting, brutal affair, but as we sort of alluded to in the intro. Uh, and certainly yesterday on our preview, it was only ever going to go one way. Uh, cross with all the power moves, uh, Balor quickness and uh, counters and targeting crosses back and then legs to try and cut cut the legs out from him. Not that that really did anything uh, early on. Cross beals Balor across the ring, uh, suplexes him, but Balor counters. That's a double stomp, but... Um, Cross explodes back and nails him. Uh, Balor gets a sling blade. Cross kicks out a one, of course, and hops to his feet. Uh, no selling everything. Later on, um, Balor goes in for a double stomp, but Cross counters. Going for the cross jacket, Balor uh, gets caught in the sleeper, escapes, rolls to the outside, uh, then just gets battered around ringside by carrying Cross. Uh, he even gave him sort of a razor's edge into the barricade at one point. Balor makes a comeback, dives through the ropes, and Cross just no sells it and power bombs Balor into the announce desk. That looked really good, to be fair. Just a huge on the replay slam onto the announce desk that does not move. Balor uh, gets another double stomp in there, goes up top for the coup de gras, but Cross rolls out of the way. Cross gets a suplex, Saito suplex, goes for his finisher. Balor counters into a roll-up for a two-count that I don't think many people would have bought as the actual finish of the match. Um, I did like the bit where uh, uh, Balor sort of counters uh, into a submission, and it looks like for a split second, the referee is going to call it uh, and, and say that, that Cross is out, but he pulls at Cross's arm, and uh, he's still there. Cross is trying to escape. Balor transitions into a triangle, and Cross just deadlift power bombs him. Uh, Cross hits the, eventually fights out, hits that, uh, hidden blade, forearm smashed to the back of the head, stomps on Balor, locks in the sleeper, and the referee just calls it there. Carrying Cross retains the NXT Championship. Intrigued to see where we go next with Finn Balor. I'm sure myself and Michael Hamlet will that, discuss that in a podcast in the coming days. 
But as we alluded to uh, yesterday and in the intro, Hamlet, a straightforward victory, even though they tried to present it uh, that there was a you know a battle going on there. I mean, it was it was hard hitting to be fair, Hamlet. Yeah, straightforward wouldn't take twenty two friggin' minutes. I what I watched this match and I went online to sort of read opinions on it. Um, and it's this more than anything is what's like is the thing this week that's making me bang my head off the desk the most. There's always something different. It's it's this style. I have I aged out of this style or something? I don't get it. I don't get this. It, this is not constructed for drama. And pro wrestling is supposed to deal in drama and suspense and story and pace. And it's supposed to undulate. And I, like, this is not that I don't want to just pile on Karrion Cross because he's kind of become the Matt Hardy of the NXT review. But like all of his matches have this problem. But like a lot of Finn Balor's have for me too. So I'm like, I, I feel like I'm on an island a little bit. I don't get how this is. I don't get how the construction of these matches occurs. I don't understand what they're going for. You said it a couple of times in your review there of a couple of spots that were like particularly entertaining, like the power one, like no cell, like power one at the table from the no cell of the dive looked awesome. It does like carrying cross and Finn Balor with their bodies can do really impressive physical things. Like, like newsflash, like all wrestlers with their bodies can do incredible things. Like it's an amazing gift that so many of them have. It doesn't contribute to the drama of a match. And so many times they slipped on that banana skin. I don't know who I'm supposed to be rooting for. Hmm. Finn Balor's comebacks were not timed with the grace of a baby face that you were supposed to get behind. So I didn't, I wasn't sucked into any of those comebacks, nor near falls or, you know, near, like kind of near tap outs or anything like that. Um, Cross is neither he nor baby face. So none of his stuff registers effectively because if he's the doomsday bit heel, then you should have that Brock Lesnar feeling of, oh, God damn it, he's got him again. If he's the kind of like gritty baby face, he should be kind of like, yeah, get him. I wish he'd fight for me. He's neither. He's absolutely neither. So like, I cannot fathom how anybody is anything but cold to this this style. Um, I think Balor's been guilty of it before as well. So I I don't think he's completely blameless here. Um, It doesn't replicate a... I haven't watched like anywhere near as much MMA as you've watched Wilborn, right? But I have seen the odd fight go the distance, shall we say. Mm. Exhausted exhausted men hitting each other with everything they possibly can. Grasping for that last submission, but they're clearly just not a gas enough tank to like show the technique they would have had in the first round. Mm. This doesn't replicate that at all. Like you you could put rounds in this and it'd stand a better chance of replicating that. Because I feel like that's what they're that's what the changeovers would be. There'd be rounds. Now so-and-so's got the advantage. Now Balor's got the advantage. Now Cross has got the advantage. None of those advantages felt earned. It was just like, right, I'm just going to take my turn and do my offence for a little bit. Mm. I like, I, I really hate this in style. Just because they deliver it with intensity, it doesn't make it good. It makes it a series of disjointed generic sequences that has a finish at the end. And they have to go long as a result because it's like, like honestly, you like the amount of dynamite matches where the younger guys are criticized for getting the shit in. That's what this was. Mm. It was like, oh, the, the two guys have got to get all the versions of their shit in, and that's why we've got to give it 20 minutes. I uh, I need somebody to educate me on why this is good, because I think it's the total opposite of what pro wrestling is. I was so uninspired and bored watching this that I'm just gonna literally repeat takes that I've had about carrying cross all the time. I will be much kinder on Balor. I thought when this exploded into life at various points, it was all Balor's doing. Um, it, I, would, I would stop just short of calling it a carry job because, again, I've said this before, Karrion Cross is a spot monkey. He's not been trained to do a really absorbing, like, lengthy match that graduates in intensity and in drama. He has had this match length imposed upon him because on a show that illuminated so much of what is bad about NXT, it's arrogant, passe, patronizing booking patterns, and it's just imposed match lengths. Karen Cross can't work this. That's why he gets that disjointed quality. His cycle suplex looks awesome. Yeah. Right. It looks awesome. The razor's edge thing looks awesome. He's got he's a spot monkey. He's got stuff that he can do. He's just he can't there's no connective tissue between them. And there's stuff that he's actively bad at. I say it every time, that forearm to the neck, it's meant to feel 
horrible. Instead, it simply looks horrible. He does this spot where he's meant to have Finn Balor just completely at his will, right? Finn Balor might as well be a tackling dummy for how little defense he has when Karrion Cross picks someone up and charges them into the corner and it just looks rubbish. There's no sense of plight. If you're as big and intense and as preposterously hard a character as Karrion Cross is meant to be, you're meant to feel like the person on the other end of the ring is in peril. This has happened once, and it was against Tommaso Ciampa. And what is the difference between that match and virtually everyone he's had since? It went eight minutes. He didn't have, he didn't have time to expose the fact that he can't do transition spots, that he runs, that he just doesn't have a decent narrative grasp of building a match. Like, if I was, if I could do anything in this world, world peace would come second. And I love Dave Meltzer. <laughs> I would tell Dave Meltzer, look, like you're way more influential than you know. Can you give some 10-minute matches five stars? Can you just... And I think his ratings are usually bang on, but there's an inherent flaw in something like Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3, the famous example. Like you're not going to give five stars, but at the same time, look what it set out to do and look, what, look at the pop it got. You need... Because critical acclaim is such a valuable currency in pro wrestling and pro wrestling has eaten itself on the back of it, like, can you not just give some... Can you not differentiate, like, an eight-minute TV match might be a five-star match for what it's set out to do? Can you not just start giving them it just to change the goddamn narrative on why these matches have to go long? It's ridiculous. It is out of control, the lengths of these matches. And what you're doing by aspiring for the epic is making your star act, your man, carrying cross, look weak, mm. drab, and parodic. Just, I hate it, man. There was elements of good stuff in it because Finn Balor's awesome. But at the same time, I was just so bored. It took ages to be out or something. Uh, you're right. And I, I think that also would then play into the narrative of like, Maybe if someone, if you did it, all of his matches was below 10 minutes, like you alluded to that. I think it's a great, great point both of you made. But if you did it, that every single one of his matches, and maybe you don't, you know, make a point of it so early on, but people start noticing, you know, it's never gone above 10 minutes, that if you can survive carrying cross for 10, 15 minutes, maybe like, like Hamlet said, his gas tank runs out. Maybe the, the shots on his... You know, his hidden blade or his, you know, he's done his arms, you know, he's, he's tired his arms out trying to get the sleeper or trying to, you know, really Saito suplex you as hard as he can. Maybe if, you know, because so, that the difficulty is, and someone asked us this new, on the news this morning of like, okay, who beats him? It's like, well, I, I said Cameron Grimes because I was like, well, I'd be <laughs> like, I, like, I genuinely don't know. Like, obviously, it seems we would assume it's going to be cool, Cal O'Reilly. But what what's different? Ugh. In between this, this, like if you did this match that went twenty odd minutes or whatever it was, and Kyler, why would Kyler Riley going twenty minutes suddenly weaken Karrion Cross to a sufficient extent that he could he could beat him? The formula is so imposed upon these wrestlers that Kyler Riley versus um, Karrion Cross would mirror Kyler Riley versus Finn Balor, and yeah. Kyler Riley might win because it's his turn to be champion even though he couldn't beat Balor twice in a match of identical style, despite the fact that they're completely different wrestlers. Like, it is an imposed upon style. The praise feels bot-generated. Like, <laughs> oh, that was uh, takeover-worthy. Like, so well worked. Uh, if you don't like that, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this isn't earnest praise from people that can be watching this analytically, because I'm not going to dig out anybody online that loved this but like you've probably seen lots of other wrestling before you've watched this. So think about how those made you feel, like how they really made you feel versus what you so desperately tried to think about this because you might like one or both of the guys. Like, I find it so hard to believe that people can't discern that difference. Well, they might just have crap taste. Like we are, <laughs> I'm, a good, I'm a good take martyr and it's really quite a drain on my life. Um, here's what everyone needs to do. Right, because I did this recently, right? And I'm, you know, the voice of reason, shall we say. For a project I'm working on, I rewatched in full Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada 1, right? 
which is partly responsible. Well, it's fully responsible for the complete transformation of the pro wrestling world. It's also very much responsible for, well, that's the ticket to six. That's a ticket to acclaim, which is now a synonym of great because good wrestling is fashionable in vogue. People need to go back and watch that goddamn match. It's even better. I'm telling you now, it is even better than it was at the time. And I think it resonates as even better because so many have tried to imitate the match length mm. with this aspiration towards the epic. And if you go back and watch this inimitable original, it's like, hell, you can hear literally every single voice in that Tokyo Dome going ape for how awesome it is. I just wish people would go back and go, well, what have we been doing for the past four years? We can't beat that. Let's just reset it again because it needs to be reset. NXT needs to be reset with this 20-minute, 40-minute TV takeover. I'd like to offer another example as well because I feel like that'll be, you'll like be unfairly alienated on account of a mere, a mere mention of Kenny Omega. But people that might listen to this are NXT fans. Like the examples exist manifold in NXT's history. But um, Colin Gargano from New York feels like like the season finale of NXT. Like that went long, long as out. And, and really holds up. Like I've watched that match a few times back. Yeah. And I've been one of the, probably the most like vocally critical because NXT still means something to me of when they've like wasted that formula and being sick of these particular wrestlers and that particular style. That's a mastering of it. And I, like, and I hated the Toronto match. So, like, there's a comparison that very same year that I don't think mm, works yeah. now. New York is is it like is is a masterpiece of the style that has since been bastardized. Um, Omega Ricarda is a different match completely and a, a better example. I feel for the point the we're trying to make, but just in the interest of like anybody that feels like for whatever reason, and they should, like they can't connect with Japanese wrestling or they want something that was NXT flavored. That has it. That has all the ebb and flow. I'm desperately reaching for and not finding in this style. Yeah. Bala Lesnar at the Royal Rumble. This was not. I think it's the best way. Christ, no. Jesus Christ, no. That's what they should have. Lesnar, anybody, this was not because Lesnar carrying cross is not. Mm. Yeah, fair point. Well, let us know your thoughts uh, on that main event and on the show on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. And you can follow me at Adam Wilburn, where there will be a picture of a bee on my feed a little bit later on today. So if you haven't subscribed before, uh, make sure you follow me for that one. Subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, of course. But for now, this has been the NXT Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.